and welcome back to Fully Equipped. Jonathan Wall. Hey, look, you know, I'm back, guys. Jonathan Wall is back. Let me just first say that. I took two weeks off. It's good to be back. And I'm joined by Gene Parenti. Uncle Gene, you just you and me, which is always a little terrifying for me. Yeah, I know. Because I know. What, what could go wrong? These, these two yahoos. What, what could go wrong? Well, yeah. I, I didn't know if you were back from vacation, so I wanted to pirate the pod by myself and just take it Woo. totally off the rails. Been, that would have been really <laughs> terrifying. Been, I, think, I think that would have been a one and done. So, you know, it's it's good to have you back, Jay Wall. Hopefully you uh, you had a good break. And by the way, happy belated birthday to you. And um, hopefully you're refreshed and ready to hit the ground running. Yeah, I, I am refreshed. Took two weeks. Uh, one of those weeks was just really busy. RB did a admirable, admirable job keeping the lights on for the podcast. Last week, I did take some time off and went to Park City for skiing with the family. Had a great time. Got a chance to celebrate my birthday. It's just two days after MJ's. That's the one thing I will always wish. I always wish that my birthday was the same one as Michael Jordan's. But um, yeah, two, two days after, I guess, is fine. A day before Charles Barkley. But uh, who's counting? So yeah, good to be back <laughs> on the pod. Yeah, I know me, me and my uh, really random basketball thoughts. I could I could probably <laughs> spend an entire pod just going going back to '90s basketball, but I will not I will not bore you with that. But it is it is good to be back on the podcast. A lot to get into. RB was at Riviera. You guys did a great job, kind of going through the interesting things that were going on at Riv. Um, one of the first things that I did want to get into with, with Gene is some comments that Billy Horschel made on Twitter. Um, somebody posted a, a picture. I think it was Jonathan Yarwood, actually, uh, top 100 instructor. And it was a video of Max Homa. And he just mentioned, you know, do you notice how many pros are now hitting a fade? with the driver and Horschel responded by saying it's tough nowadays to hit a consistent five to 10 yard draw with the way equipment is. It's easier to hit a reliable fade. The equipment is one of the reasons you see more guys hitting that shot today. The equipment spins less. Um, Horschel actually went on with Gary Williams on his podcast and they discussed his comments on Twitter and Horschel again said, you know, look, it's it's a lot easier to have consistent spin numbers with a fade versus a draw. He mentioned the only guy who can really corral a draw out on tour consistently is Rory McIlroy. Um, I mean, what do you what do you think, Gene? When somebody says that it's due to the equipment and not so much the swing that guys are hitting fades now off the tee with driver versus a draw. Well, so to start up until this year, 2023, which we've talked about in previous spots, I'd agree with him 100%. I think this year uh, there was a move towards, especially on off-center hits, to kind of create a more balanced club that could promote both a draw and a fade. But in years past, and I've talked about this, when we test robotically on the toe, um, the ball stays off to the right. And so it'll stay 15, 20 yards off to the right at three quarters of an inch. And when you hit a ball on the heel three quarters of an inch, it moves left to right. It won't cross the center line, but it will definitely be curving and you'll have positive side spin. And the reason for that, that I've always surmised and, and you know, kind of asking on tour and things like that, is those guys are afraid of the snap hook. So the whole um, setup is 
in regard to pushing that ball right to prevent that. So it is true that a fade is more uh, biased in those clubs, especially if you're hitting it off center. Now, the, the, the tricky part about it is if you're hitting it in the center, and we have documented this in the past, there has definitely been a trend towards lower spin. So the lower spin does not necessarily aid a fade, and you've got to open up that face to increase that spin to control that. But it, what's what's fascinating to me about this discussion overall, and Bryson kind of moved the needle, you know, three or four years ago when he started chasing distance and everybody started chasing, you know, sub 2000 spin, 1400 launch. I mean, 14 degrees launch, just trying to knock the ball as far as humanly possible. What everybody started seeing was it's really hard to control the ball. And suddenly the ball can go off the planet really easily. So the power fade and, you know, sitting there watching the, um, watching the tracking at RIV, and Tiger's playing it, Rom's playing it, um, you know, Homa's playing it. They're all playing that because they know they can control it. And they all, it's interesting, they've all kind of planed out at about 180 miles an hour ball speed too. That's the other interesting thing. So they're getting plenty of speed out of that golf ball. So they're getting the golf ball out there to the proper distance that they need for whatever their approach club is going to be but they're doing it with control and control allows them to hit more fairways and keeps them in contention. Yeah. And you know, one of the things that did stick out to me is, is Horschel said the equipment makes it easier to hit a fade. And I mean, if I was going to look at the, the general equipment landscape, I'd actually say that the equipment nowadays and speaking strictly to the drivers actually makes it easier to, to hit a draw. I mean, a lot of today's products, it feels like have more of a draw bias. Um, I always have thought, well, you know, for the tour pros, for a guy like Horschel, it's a lot easier to hit a fade probably because you have tour reps who are able to add rack glue inside the head to help set that club up to be more fade bias. You know, that's not something that the average golfer is getting access to. You'd probably need to go to a club builder to have, you know, and a good one at that to have them add glue inside the head to, to change the, the CG and to help induce a fade more than, you know, than a lot of the other drivers out there. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I, again, oh, when he oh. says that it makes it easier to hit a fade. I, I say, eh, I don't really know. I, I think it's a lot easier to hit well, a golf days of gear. Well, you know, yes. First off, hundred percent agree with you as far as uh, typical product available to amateurs, because you know the the fade slash slice is the you know predominant swing. What's interesting though, if you break it down, everything now is mid to low spin, right? Very rarely do the only time we find higher spin products. Uh, you know, that we looked at over the sample size of all of the clubs that we tested are the complete draw biased. I mean, just closed based, heel weighted, et cetera. But if you think about it, a lower spinning product actually does bias towards a fade because it doesn't flare too much. In other words, if you had a mid to higher spinning product, you're kind of screwed if you try to have a fade because it's going to flare and turn into a three wood on you. And so you could almost kind of make the argument that by having a lower spinning product, it does 
it allows you to control the fade, but not have the fade get away from you and not have the fade flare, which is the definite distance killer. So, you know, if you can take a 2200 spin, say, and turn it into a 26, 2700, you're still in the manageable range from a launch standpoint, but you're also creating a little bit of side spin that gives you control and allows you to hit more fairways. Yeah, that's really well said. Something else that Horschel mentioned that I, I did ha need to bring up. So Gary Williams asked him about spin rates. Like where does he want to like hang in? And Billy said for draws, he wants to be around 25 to 2700 RPMs on in the spin department. With the fades, he's like 22 to 2400. I mean, there's no yeah, much he, like they should be flip-flopped, right? Yeah, he got those backwards. Yeah. Okay. You know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> just just that simple you you open the club face and increase the spin you close the club face it decreases spin yeah just physics i mean you could you could conceivably drop spin to those i mean one of the things that rb actually mentioned which is something that i've actually been working on here at home is is trying to see how golf ball affects spin rate you know we we talk so much about the golf club but there are are different golf balls out there that can can you know increase or lower spin. I've been trying out different models here at home just to see if I can find something that's a, a better option. Just simply because in the past I've I've tinkered with my gear a whole lot more and just stuck with the same ball. And and for whatever reason I've just never really messed around with the golf ball as much. But I mean I guess you know you could conceivably get to like twenty two to twenty four hundred spin. I mean. It's it's possible, but again, yeah, I think those numbers should be flip flop. Yeah, and and you know, in relation to the golf ball, there is definitely you know, there's definitely a range of highest to lowest spinning, especially in relation to a driver. More so, I think when you get into the wedges and the half wedges. But you know, to be perfectly honest, you're talking about two to three hundred RPM max, which you know. If you're on one of those kind of shelves, like you need to get from 28 to 25, it can be, you know, significant if, if you can, you know, maintain launch. Um, but you're not going to move the needle as massively as you are, obviously, with the head. The other interesting one, you know, definitely is the shaft. I would put the golf ball third on that list as far as being able to manipulate launch and spin. Uh, I, I think the golf ball, in all honesty, everybody makes a good golf ball now. I mean, we know that. We've, we've looked at all of this data. We, we don't get rando golf balls like I used to when I started out. But what I think is critical for a golf ball and a player, and especially an amateur player, but it, this goes even more so for a tour player, is confidence in that golf ball is when you hit that golf ball and you hit a good shot that visually you see it and visually it, it hits that window that you're looking at. And that's not something that necessarily comes out in robot testing. It's just more of a subjective analysis that when you hit a good shot, you feel confident about that golf ball. And if you do, then it's, it's kind of like what I call the checklist it's off the checklist. So I'm not concerned about when I hit a bad shot, I know it's me. It's not the golf ball. When I hit a good shot, I know it's me. And you know, the golf ball's doing what it's supposed to do. That's kind of my, uh, uh, 
objective analysis of golf balls, taking data out because you've got to have confidence in that golf ball and not be thinking about it while you're playing. Yeah, that's, that's good. Not thinking about the golf ball, not thinking about anything in general is really difficult yes. for me on the golf course. Cause I'm a, yes. I'm a head case. So maybe that's why well, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, golf ball simply it, to try and shave off spin or increase spin. That's the, that's the beauty of what I do in relation to my golf game. I know when I suck, it's me. And I know when I'm playing well, it's me. Like I am one of the few people on the planet that has zero questions about their golf equipment when I'm out there because I know exactly what it's doing. So it's like, yeah, I hit that shot or no, I didn't hit that shot. So it is, it is nice to remove that kind of doubt, which I think exists in 99.999% of the rest of the population. Yeah. All right. Let's get but you too can have a robot for two hundred thousand yeah. dollars. It'll eliminate I was about to the whole say, Yeah, yeah. Reach, reach, <laughs> reach out to Gene on social. He'll be glad to, to sell your robot. I'll be glad to sell you one. You know, there are actually some people out there that have multiple robots. We won't say who. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Only those with the deep pockets. All right, on to Riv. So John Rahm is your winner at Riviera. What do you where do you rank Riv, Gene? If you were going to look down the list of venues on the PGA Tour, where do you think Riv, or where would Riv rank for you on the, the Uncle Gene Power Rankings? You know, it, it, it's uh, uh, I, I'm a little biased because I went to UCLA. I've grown up in the su- Southern California area. Okay, so number one. It, no, no, no. I wouldn't call it number one, but um, but it, it it's a beautiful track. It's a be- I don't necessarily one is all right, two, eh, but then all of a sudden when you start getting into that canyon and some of the shapes and the bunkering, it's just it's just a real you know. And come on, how many how many par threes do you have a bunker in the middle of the green? I mean, that's like Scotland, you know. Ask. Awesome. I mean, there's yeah, there's just. There's enough idiosyncratic aspects to the course um, that I think make it really, really unique, um, you know, in relation to, I mean, you know, no knock against Florida, but, you know, you start getting into, you know, kind of these traditional courses that you would expect in these regions. And um, some of the West Coast courses, uh, they, they seem to play with terrain a little bit more. And, um, you know, because of that, I, I'd rank pretty high up there. Yeah. I would, I would say it's in my top three and I, I really like Eastlake. Um, love Hilton head. Harbor town is great. It's, it's one of those, those old school tracks. It's not long and a lot of golfers love it because it does force you to take long irons or a high lofted fairway off the tee at times, just to hit it in the right spots. Number one for me probably is like TPC deer run. You know, quad cities. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I got. I have an affinity for for that tournament. Love, love TPC Deer Run. I'm not, and I'm actually being serious. So, how many? Um, let me ask you this question: How many tracks in the rotation have you been to? How? Uh, probably all of them. All of them. Wow. Yeah, that's I mean, impressive. Well, I mean, there were years when I was working for the PJ Tour covering gear, and I was on the road pretty much every week. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I know. Those first those first few years, I it was like the Monday to Wednesday grind every week. 
And I think well, there were a couple that I took off, but I, yeah. And like the craziest part is like for some of them, I'd show up on like Sunday nights to be there first thing Monday morning. I, I don't, I'm not sure why. Uh, then I finally got wise to it and realized, okay, I can go out Monday morning and be there. And guys are rolling into town that day and there's not a lot going on on Mondays. And yeah, but it was, it was pretty much the Monday to Wednesday, just like the tour reps. And I, I realized after a few years, I'm like, I, I'm not, not built for this kind of travel. So started to scale back and pick my spots and, you know, now, now I'm just too, I'm just, you know, too much of a big shot and I, I go to fewer events than I ever have, but, um, yeah, just not, not, I'm getting old, just not, just not used to the, not used to that travel life anymore. Um, don't, don't even, don't even talk to me. I don't yeah, even want to hear I it. I know, I know. <laughs> um, anyway, so Rom wins at Riv. The one interesting thing that I did want to point out about his setup is something that RB mentioned uh, in this week. So he was he was a godsend and, and handled the the weekly gear notes for me, which I did appreciate. He was at Riv, so he knew what the heck was going on where I was skiing and had no earthly idea who was making gear changes. People were reaching out to me, I realized, on, on social media while I was off the grid. And I'm like, oh, man, I, I have no idea what, what change you're referencing. But, uh, but yeah, just, just talk to RB. So the one that Rom makes is, is RB called it an under the radar gear change, but I feel like it's an important one because if you go back to when he first turned pro, Rom was using Aldola's tour green shaft in his driver in his fairway woods. And over the years, he's changed out the five wood. He went to a graphite design, ADDI black, 8X in the five wood. And then at Riv, he went to the same graphite design, ADDI black shaft in his three wood. Um, and you might be saying, okay, well, you know, what's the big deal here? Well, the fact that he's now changing out a shaft that's been a part of his game for, for that long should make you stand up and take notice and that's, you know, that's where we're at with Rom now is we're, we're not talking, you know, he's not going to be making changes to his, you know, to the clubs in his bag. But, you know, if it, if it's something that makes sense, he's going to be making a change to the three wood. That's what he does here. He goes to the black version. And so I reached out to Johnny Wonder from Callaway to ask him, like, what's the deal with Rom? Why is he making the change? And Johnny told me that Rom was getting high 170 ball speed out of his old setup in the three wood. And it was just simply going too far for him. So going to the graphite design shaft in the three wood helped add about 500 RPMs a spin. Now for a tour pro, 500 RPMs is a lot. I mean that's not that's not a that's not a small potatoes number. I mean Gene, you've worked with a but you've worked with tour pros before. I mean 500 RPMs is something that's pretty significant for a lot of guys out there. Well, not only that, but the, the, the fascinating part about it to me is, you know, and this is the difference between tour players and amateurs, is three wood was going, did you say three wood or five wood? Three wood. It's high one seven ball speed. Yeah. Yeah. His three wood was going too far. You know, I mean, th- those words like anathema to it and amateur, like, what do you mean are my three woods going too far? It, it, he's looking for his three wood to land at a certain distance and control it. And so, you know, it, it, it was interesting. I was watching some social media um, from Waste Management. He played on Wednesday with J.J. Watt, and he was walking next to J.J., 
And he was about the same size. I was surprised, you know, and Watts just retired. His arms are bigger than my thighs. But Rom, like, looked like he could have at least been the free safety, if not the weak side linebacker. I mean, you know, I was looking at him and I was like, man, he's a big dude. So, and he's, you know, he's got that little short backswing. He's just firing at the ball. He's, he's so incredibly strong. But as we talked about and, and we started this, Strength is not an issue for him. What is an issue for him is control and distance control and accuracy because the the shots that he plays are not maximizing distance. They're maximizing making sure that he's landing in a certain area and he's landing in that area accurately. So um, he's he's really an interesting case. But yes, 500 500 RPMs is a a massive change. That meant that he wanted that three wood to be landing. And I'm guessing he wanted it to be sticking greens, not necessarily running out, um, you know, from a... uh, But, you know, the the other thing about Rom, and I remember a couple of years ago, at 18 at Kapalua, he can hit a draw when he needs to. And that's what's wild and shows that, you know, he's one of the best players on the planet is when you, when he needs to, and you watch him hit a draw, it's, it's as beautiful as this power fade. And so he's got that in his toolbox as well. Yeah. And the interesting thing about his three wood setup, he's using a, a Callaway paradigm, triple diamond T in the T from people. <laughs> the first time we posted photos of the T head, it has a deeper face. It just looks like a tour fairway wood. Uh, Xander was mm-hmm. Xander was testing it out initially. Um, you had some of the big names for Callaway who wanted to see this slightly deeper face on a fairway wood. You know, there a lot of those guys are are catching fairways a little bit lower on the face, and you can even I, I took photos of Roms. I'll post them on social, but you can see a lot of the marks on. I mean, there are some that are kind of centered high, but a lot of a lot of the wear is on that lower part of the face. So see, but, but that's interesting. He's playing the triple diamond. So that's a lower spinning head. So it's it like, it, it, it's like, that's, that's a little weird from a, you know, from a, a performance standpoint, because he's got a lower spinning head, but he's putting a shaft in that generates more spin to offset it. It's like, huh, why not just go to, he's, he's, He's got to like the look of that head. And as you said, the depth so. of that face and giving him confidence yep. because yeah. um, sure. he's kind of, he's offsetting the the performance characteristics of that head with a different shaft. So that's, that's an interesting, that's an interesting paradox as far as, you know, it, how you are approaching it, but it shows that the head gives him more confidence you know, he's willing to adjust the shaft accordingly because the head, you know, for whatever reason, whether it be impact location, uh, ball flight, it, well, it can't be ball flight because he's increasing that 500 RPM. So that's going to be flaring on him a lot more, but it's got to be just the way that sets up and probably his miss hits. He's more confident with that um, than he is with some of the other products. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's, that's a very interesting point there because as you mentioned it, he is using the low spin product. They, it's funny because this is the, the one that he's using is the three HL, but it's only, you know, it's, it's a, it's a 16 degree head. It's not like it's that much higher loft than, than your retail 15. So. Okay. So that even, 
that gets even weirder. So he's got more loft, less spin, and then he's trying to jack up the spin. I my head's starting to hurt. Is to you know? I mean, it, it shows though that yeah that. That would lead me to believe that that head works for him, and he's fitting the shaft to that head, and that's that's kind of wild because um, you know a lot of these guys are so sensitive when it comes to their shafts; they don't like to have to experiment too much with shafts because shafts kind of scare them because they're a little bit of an X factor. But he's got such confidence, and well, let's face it. He's also swinging better than anybody on the planet right now. So he trusts yeah. his game enough that uh, that he's willing to make those changes. And those changes are, um, they're working for him, obviously. Yeah, definitely working for him. So Rom makes the change to the three-wood shaft. And then Rory, you know, this this is to me a lot more like what I would see from from a gear, like a recreational golfer who's a gearhead. Rory starts out the the week with the tailor-made stealth driver last year's model. Doesn't really like what's going on after the first day. So he goes to the range and he tests the stealth two plus driver with the same Fujikura Ventus shaft and sees enough, you know, noticeable ball speed gains, not just out of the center, but across the entire face. That's like, hey, might as well. Just gonna throw it in the bag. Um, the, the funny part was that change sort of coincided with something that Rory had mentioned with like tiger was hitting it out there pretty far. And so I wonder if Rory, you know, Rory's still longer than tiger, but if like seeing tiger, maybe hit you, hit a pass you a couple of times or, you know, get pretty close. If it was like, oh man, this is making me a little uneasy. I just want to see if I can get a bit more juice and, and switch drivers. Well, the, the interesting thing about that, and, you know, we talked about this as well with the new TaylorMade products is they are lower spinning this year. And and the Stealth 2 Plus is really lower spinning. So, you know, you've got an interesting compare and contrast there. You've got Rom, who's, you know, what's, what's Rory's ball speed now? Is it roughly in the same 180 category? Yeah. I think so. I don't think it's. I don't think it's changed much. I mean, he's obviously not not chasing distance, uh, at least as far as like his swing speed. You know, if he can if he can pick it up with with a different driver head, I think he's gonna he's gonna go for it. But yeah, yeah. Well, like I, I mean, yeah. So all things being equal, he's probably 15, 20 yards past Rom because Rom's playing that power fade where he's opening that club face and spinning that ball. Rory going to that stealth two plus is lowering his spin from the stealth two, which already is low and playing a draw. So you've got two totally different styles trying to get the ball out into the fairway. Um, as we talked about the risk reward is much higher for Rory than it is for Rom. Rom's in the safe place where he knows that his misses are going to be controlled. Rory has got to be a lot more accurate because if that gets away from him, it can get away from him badly. But it's just, it's interesting to see uh, not only the swing styles, but the uh, uh, equipment. Rory's basically putting his uh, foot on the on the pedal. He's just going, you know, hey, I want a lower spin. I want to maximize distance, and I want to maximize my opportunities. Rom's like, hey, I want to be in the fairway. I want to be at my distance. 
I have enough faith in my iron game right now and the way I'm striking the ball, I'm willing to sacrifice some distance to hit it. But it's just interesting because their equipment is definitely aiding their um, their kind of styles of play, which are definitely contrasting um, kind of almost op- – complete opposite sides of the spectrum, you know, as far as the tour is concerned. Yeah. Rory to me feels a lot, um, a lot more open to testing out different setups. I mean, it was, it was just a year or so ago that he was testing different driver shafts and he went to the Ventus. Whereas Rom, as you, as you mentioned, you know, he doesn't want to change a lot of variables. He's willing to try different driver heads but again, he's been using the Alde Latour green shaft and his driver going back to college. So there, there are certain variables that he does not want to change. And I think that he knows that he's long enough to, to have an advantage, but he does, as, as you were saying, he does want to find more fairways. He's that, I mean, that's his strength. The strength of his game is, is off the tee. He's so consistent that, you know, it's tough. It's tough to to go up against a guy like that when he has a lead because you just sort of expect that he's not going to make a whole lot of mistakes off the tee. You're going to hope that he's going to make some mistakes going into the green, or maybe the putter isn't hot, and and that gives you a chance to you know to claw back and and take a three shot lead down to one going to the back nine. But yeah, Rom and Rory definitely go about it in different ways. As you said, Rom's more power fade guy, whereas Rory's going to be using that little, you know, five yard draw and and trying to bomb it down there. And it is tough to pl- it's tough to play against those guys when they're when they're consistently ahead of you. And Rory uncorked one; he had a three hundred and eighty eight yard drive in the second round after changing drivers. So, no, I mean it. It, it uh, to to me it it comes. I don't know, you know. It, it comes down to hand-eye coordination and it's what do you trust? And, you know, and, and, and once again, risk reward. Um, what's interesting, I, I've always believed, especially with these guys with power. And I think Rom is a classic example is the power fade is, is the shot on tour because you, um, you put yourself in a position to win every single time. Whereas the high draw, um, is yes, you can be two or three clubs, uh, you know, shorter coming into a green, but you can also be in a world of trouble. And I think that it creates um, much more volatility. You have to be that much more accurate um, and consistent. And you know, look at play. I mean, Phil's a classic example. You know, it, you know when when his draw is working, he's magic. When it's not. You know, he's got to be a magician to try to get out of some of those things. So it's just, it's, it's fascinating. And, and once again, it's what makes golf so great is there's so many different ways to approach this game and, you know, play on your strengths. And obviously, um, you know, Ron plays to his and Rory plays to his and they're fun to watch. They're definitely fun to watch. I think, I would say, you know, there was a lot of chatter about was was Liv going to to create a lot of chaos on the PGA Tour. I would say the PGA Tour has never been better. I mean, you have you have a, still have a ton of stars that you have these designated, elevated, whatever you want to call them, events, and you know we've had some good finishes for some of these events. 
Um, you know, they just had the Netflix, the full swing series come out. There's, there's a lot of reasons. I, I think there were even, there was chatter about, I saw on social about Brooks Kepka maybe possibly having, you know, buyer's remorse for leaving and going over to the, going over to the live tour. So yeah, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot of star power still on the PGA tour, a lot of good finishes to, to kick off the year. And Oh, by the way, we're like a month and a half away from the masters. So, so I would give you a little pushback on that in that let's talk in three weeks after the doldrums of the Honda, you know, how many people, well, Bay Hill's Palmer, great. what are you talking about? Bay Hills, Bay Hill is great. That's a good event. No, 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 no. I'm talking about the field. Field's I, gonna I, be I, great. I, field should be great for Bay Hill. I mean, I agree. I think the field, the field for Honda this week is, is abysmal. Um, well, these guys, because yeah. they all front, they all front loaded for the waste management and RIV, and it's like, you know, it's a long season, and it you is. can only bring out the stars so many times. Well, and, not, you know, not anymore with these designated events. I mean, they're required to play yeah, a large that's majority true. of them, so you're going to be yeah. seeing the stars a lot more. Even even if they didn't want to show up, they're still going to need to show up to most of these events. <laughs> And, uh, and, and Bay Fair Hill's point. one of them. So you've got Bay Hill and players, and then you got match play, and then before you know it, the Masters is here. And I, I agree. Like there is there is this lull during the season where it, it feels like it's just like one tour event after the next, and you're like, all right, let's just get to the majors, or you know the I mean the really the you know the events that matter, and then you blink, and then you're into the FedEx Cup playoffs, and then you do it all over again. It's like I, like I've always said, it's like Groundhog Day. But yeah, there's there's definitely some good events coming up. All right, final topic that I want to get into before we uh, before we go to an interview that Arby had with Cobras Tomasovsky. We released a three wood test this week, part of our Robo Test series on Golf.com. It's one that we shot when you and me and Arby and Chris were all out in Scottsdale together. And we wanted to see how the new TaylorMade Stealth 2 Plus fairway would, which in my opinion, and I would love to get your take here, Gene, I think it's one of the most interesting equipment releases for 2023. And I think it, I think it is because of, of the design of this golf club. You know, it, we've seen adjustable weighting on fairway woods in the past, but never to this degree. You know, the, the Stealth 2 Plus has a 50 gram adjustable weight in the sole, and you can jam it far forward and turn it into a mini driver. You can push it all the way back and turn it into, as RB found out, and we'll get into those numbers. It, I mean, essentially like a glorified, like seven wood, nine wood, um, which is just crazy. And even, even with the spin rates, but this is, I mean, it really is from what we saw, like three clubs in one. And I wanted to have your robot test it out and see what the numbers look like. Because this is this is something that I've continued to preach on the podcast, which is the robot does a great job of just sort of cutting through the bullshit and just giving you the numbers. Like if you want to know, does, does a weight, a 50 gram weight, which is essentially like 22% of the, of the mass on this club head, like, does it do its job? Does it, does it, induce a higher launch when you jam it all the way back? Do you see a noticeable difference when you move it forward? Because um, as I alluded to, when RB tested it, we saw some wild numbers 
in in launch and spin. And I mean, these these were again numbers that I initially was like, man, are, is 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 the launch monitor working? So with the weight far forward, RB saw 12 degrees of launch, 2,900 RPM spin, and 262 yards of carry. I mean, that's that 12 degrees of launch. I mean, that's that's pretty much like a driver. Yeah, 2,900 well, RPM spin. We we I mean, we got 12.7, 2,800. At, and 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 you got to remember this. We we were testing it of the equivalent of about ninety two, ninety three. What's RB at like one hundred five? So you know he's yeah. he's probably twelve miles an hour faster as well. Um, you know that 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 is definitely going to add to to that. But uh, to your point, what's what's really fascinating about this, and this is what I love about the three wood and dovetails nicely with our conversation about rom what do you want out of your three wood you know is your three wood a replacement for your driver or is your three wood something that you want to hit um uh greens with on par fives and based on that you're going to have two totally different setups this club gives you that opportunity it gives you the opportunity to hit a ball that launches high and comes in soft or it gives you the opportunity to give you a real boring trajectory for those that have trouble making contact with the length of their driver and hitting uh, the ball actually longer. And as we've shown in testing prior, especially with slower swinging players, uh, the three wood is actually longer than the driver. So in this setup, you can really maximize that distance. So it is uh, to me, what I love about it and, I love about all adjustability, and unfortunately, most players are so terrified of taking that wrench out and doing anything to their golf club because they're convinced that they're going to break it or something. But it's like when you buy this piece of golf equipment, you've actually bought probably four different fairway woods in this one product, and so go out there, take the wrench, move it in different positions, hit some balls, and if you really geek out. You can, based on what the wind conditions are like the day, what the course is like, et cetera, how you want to set that club up. And you swing it the same way, and it's just going to perform completely differently for you. Yeah, and it, and it did. I mean, as as we were talking about the numbers, the deltas between launch, spin, and carry for, for RB with his three wood were just wildly different. Far back weight setting after being 12, 2900, and 262. Far back produced 15.7, That's right, yeah. 5,100 yeah. RPMs of spin and 218 yards of carry. Um, and when I posted these numbers, people were laughing, like, "Well, what? Like, who would ever want that out of their three wood?" And I don't necessarily think that you you need to like jam it all the way back, but I, I do. Like, I think it's our job to test them in the extreme settings at times and see like what. Like, what can this club do if you are really low spin, but you like this, you like this club? I mean, you can, you can get some additional RPMs, but the, the numbers that we, that RB saw, um, as you, as you did mention with the forward setting, they were pretty comparable, but I mean, we saw nothing close to, to like 15, seven, 5,100. We, I mean, with the back setting no. of the robot, it was like 14, it was 14 degrees of launch, which compared to the neutral was up a degree uh, compared to the forward setting was about, you know, about a degree and a half difference. But we, we actually saw spin drop with the robot, which 
after seeing RB test it, I, I would have bet money that we would have seen a crazy high spin rate. But you and I were discussing this. There's there's a reason why you think the spin dropped when the robot hit this club. Yeah, and it's just a function of the back CG, and the back CG will lower spin. I mean, what's what's interesting is, and what I would love to do um, sometime is really, you know, with like the quad, really go into RB's numbers and figure out what the hell was going on. In other words, you know, what, you know, what was he, was it attack angle that was changing? What, what exactly was changing causing those numbers? Because obviously he was reacting and, you know, you've talked about this in the past and, you know, I, full disclosure, even though obviously I'm a little bit of a homer for data and objective data, I understand that the human body is unique and more importantly the human mind in relation to swinging a golf club and your body can start reacting if it feels different things and you can start to get different reactions that a robot simply will not do because it's swinging the same way every single time that we've set it up to get kind of objective data but what intrigues me and it would be an interesting kind of follow-up is to look at deeper into his numbers and figure out what was triggering these changes because he obviously was reacting to the club and the way that he reacted caused his body to do some interesting things. And that's the beauty and madness of golf. Um, You know, sometimes we will see results robotically that mirror identically players and other times we won't. And a lot of times it's a function of how, um, how the player accelerates what they're doing. And sometimes weight will cause a player to either consciously or subconsciously alter their swing and especially better players, better players. You know, it's, it's interesting on tour, um, you know, players. And I hear this all the time from tour reps, especially shaft reps. They'll say, they'll only look at the first two or three swings that a tour player hits with the shaft. And if they blow it right or blow it left, that's what they're looking at because the tour player will then adjust and all of the launch data and all of the, you know, measurable metrics will look exactly like their gamer. And then they'll hand the club back and go, yeah, I wouldn't trust that out there, you know, in play. And, and you're like, what do you mean you wouldn't trust it? It's performing just as well, if not slightly better. And yet they are making changes in order to get that window um, and those changes are an X factor that doesn't come up in the data, but they're having to make them. And so that's why they only look at a couple of the swings. So with player testing, it's more um, kind of a tea leaves and figuring out, did the equipment cause this or was it an adjustment that the player did that caused the equipment to do this because of the trend? And so these are the things that I kind of geek out on because uh, – uh, you know, you you don't have a direct cause and effect and you have to start making assumptions and you have to start really kind of digging deep into the data and not just necessarily at launch and spin, but how is it being delivered? What is the face angle? What, you know, what are the X factors that are causing, you know, these, these extreme changes? Yep. And you, you took the words right out of my mouth, Gene. I think it's a good place to, to wrap the, the conversation, but you know, the robot, what I love about what it's able to do is it is it delivers the golf club the same way. So we're able to help tell you, you know, who this club could benefit. But at the end of the day, even if we tell you who it should benefit, 
we're just trying to hopefully help you pare down the list of drivers. And then from there, you need to go test them. Because as, as you you know, you can see from the numbers, if the robot's hitting this, this three wood, the numbers, I mean, you can see some changes in launch and spin, but it's delivering the golf club the same way. Golfers aren't doing that. And, and that's where, well, as, you, as you were saying, like with our, with RB, like how was he delivering this, this three wood in the back setting to get such a wild change? I mean, golfers aren't golfers aren't robots. And, and I think that's why, again, it's so important to go test this equipment with, with a fitter to understand if it's a good fit for your game. hundred percent. And the other thing that I would add to that is the subjective aspect of confidence is, you know, when you're looking down at that piece of equipment, do you feel confident or not when you're swinging it? And how does it feel? You know, feel is a weird, weird uh, analytic. And it, it's, you know, a lot of it's related to sound, but a lot of it is related to perception. And those are, those are things that are really difficult to quantify. And yet everybody has those as humans when they perform a swing and you've, you've it's got to feel good in your hands. And if it doesn't, it doesn't matter what robotically it says, doesn't matter how it's designed. Um, it, it, you're you're not going to have confidence if you don't have confidence you're not going to put it into your bag yeah all right good time now to get into this week's interview rb had a chance to speak with cobra's vp of r&d tombolsovsky about the new aerojet line which in my opinion is is one of the coolest drivers out there we uh, have a whole bunch of content up on golf.com about it rb got into the details behind the driver and the design Let's get into it. Ryan Brath here at the PGA show. We are cruising the floor, and I have now have the pleasure of speaking with Thomas Lofsky from Cobra Golf. And you are responsible for the new Aerojet. You're part, you're part of a big team that's responsible for the Aerojet. For sure, yeah. yeah. And uh, when it comes to, I think, highlighting what goes on the outside and on the inside of the driver, we talk so much about the outside and the aerodynamics, which is a key part of this. But you guys have really done a big job of upgrading what goes inside the head which people don't see yeah and you know most design ryan is always a trade-off of something you know one of the things we knew with aerodynamics after making uh, those drivers for a few years and testing prototypes is typically with aerodynamics you're raising the back that makes the cg go up so we're like okay well that's not great so how do we get the cg back down so that's where the power bridge power shell structures come into place uh and really you know trying to drive that way keep it low uh, and some designs we're trying to move it more forward even to get more speed and less spin. Uh, so it's really a combination of things. Um, the power bridge is also combined with the power shell because we have power shell in irons for a long time. But we felt like, well, we hadn't quite figured out how to put them in a driver because some of the technologies and then same thing with fairways and hybrids. So uh, it's really a kind of a synergy of all these things coming together um, because we know we need to succeed in every aspect of the head to make it perform better because golfers want everything. They want distance, forgiveness, yeah. accuracy, sound, and feel. How, how is that process when it comes to like knowing what, say distance, right? Mm -hmm. It's like we can cram, we can make a, say a, a 460 head that's a different shape and just cram the weight like super low and it's going to create a ton of ball speed, but it's going to be like zero forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And then you can make something really big, but you might not get the same forgiveness because you're getting head deflection and all these different things. What is it like really trying to combine that? And that, that is the test, isn't it, to create that when you're, when you're designing not just one driver but like a range. So you've got the more draw bias model. You've got the more low spin model. What, 
what is that balancing act? Yeah, exactly. It's a, a balancing act. It's a perfect description. You know, part of it is, okay, first we sit with, with Jose and the, and the product architecture gang and say, okay, what do we want to do with this club? You know, we know we typically have to make three different performances, but how is each one going to be better than last year? That's yeah. really our job. Now, we know not everybody buys every year, but that's really the way the industry compares. So the goal is, okay, how do we make the LS more low spin than last year? How do we make it faster? How do we make it more forgiving as well? Because we, it's a trade-off. Yeah. Uh, with the LS design, the power bridge actually allows us to get a couple hundred points more inertia, even though the CG is a little forward. Yeah. And that's kind of a trick when you think about it. Well, that's not the usual way to do it. <laughs> um, but the goal was, that was some of the feedback from the last two models, is, hey, man, the low spin could use a little forgiveness. Yeah. So we're able to use that power bridge power shell structure to take some weight out of the middle and spread it out. That gives us 200 points more. So that player now is... The feedback has been, well, this is really, this is more forgiving than last year. And I, I like that. You know, even players like Ricky Fowler are saying, hey, I want a little forgiveness. Yeah. Um, so it's a trade off when you think of each design. And we treat each one separately. What's the standard Aerojet need to do? What's the Max need to do? What's the LS need to do? Um, because we know, to your comment earlier, if we put all the weight really forward, it's not very playable or forgiving. And then it's not very successful. You know, it's that, that trade off. Yeah. I, I mean, I love testing old gear. And I think it's one of those fun things where, I'll get it on a quad, mm-hmm. and I'll post pictures on like social media. And be like, look, this driver's 15 years old, and it's it's still not as fast as the old one, but like it gets there. But as soon as you miss, I, I only post the good ones, by the way. <laughs> you miss on one of those old golf clubs, mm-hmm. and it's like you lose 30 yards. You miss low right. on the club face, right. that thing mm-hmm. is nowhere, mm-hmm. right? And I think it's it's crazy to see what happens now when you take a driver that has. Uh, a larger face and you take that center of gravity you fine tune it and you know from our robot testing because we we have the opportunity i know you guys do your own as well right but mm-hmm. we saw something like the max have such a like a, a shrink like a tiny mm-hmm. dispersion and that's you know that's not by accident exactly and then you know the one thing that we talk about a lot in terms of forgiveness is there's a number of facets to forgiveness the, the inertia conversation really is about ball speed on missits but then there's things like face radii that have to work with the CG. So all those have to be designed because you want that corrective gear effect back. So you want ball speed retention. You want gear effect correction. You want high-low you know, spin, spin correction to be good. All those things are designed into the way we do that PowerShell with the hot face. That helps us. We also have the higher inertia you know, between the chassis and everything we do there with the carbon fibers and the bridges and shells. Um, so it's all that combination because in the end of the day, we want the golfer to sense that there is something better. And it is helping their game. Because that, that, that radius that we talked about, the bulge and roll that's on the club face, the curvature for those out there listening, we got a lot of gear nerds listening to this, so I think they mostly understand what bulge and roll is. But that changes based on the driver as well, right? Mm-hmm. Because what works on the low spin model isn't necessarily the same thing that's going to work on the max model, right? Mm-hmm. And that, that is where you are always fine-tuning performance to create segmentation because I think that's what we've seen with, with your line as well this year especially mm-hmm. is there's there's greater segmentation right. in the line so it helps golfers be more helps fitters mm-hmm. it also helps golfers be more confident when they're going in or they're, they're looking at something or they have a, a driver from a couple years old and they want to upgrade to the new one mm-hmm. they're going to find the one that's really going to work for them and it's going to work better for them than something that might not have the same segmentation as before exactly you know that's really the key to the industry these days is the fitting is critical at an individual level and we want to make those drivers better in every way. So we use something called dual roll. We've used it for 10 years now. You know, that gives us on the more uh, the more forgiving heads. We want that player, typically with a miss hit low, 
to have a little bit more launch. So dual roll on, on bottom adds loft. When we get to the LS player, this is the tour players, they're not as worried about launch as they are about spin. Yeah. So we don't have as much dual roll on those because they're saying, okay, well, I don't want that much spin when I have a low miss hit. In fact, sometimes they want to play the low miss hit, which is more of a, a low launch, decent spin, not super high spin. So for those guys, they're not worried as much about launch angle because they're very good at controlling that. But we see with that slower swing speeds, more launch angle on a low miss hit actually makes the ball go further for them because <laughs> they're not generating too much spin usually. Yeah. And I think that we talk so much about low spin, but there gets to a point where of diminishing return, For right? Sure. So you, there is that balancing act, and it really comes down to the different clubhead speeds because a slower player needs that. I know it's like it's not a great analogy, but I like mm -hmm. using it as like if you've got a garden hose and you want to spray it further, you don't point it straight out. You point it up. Right. And so at a slower speed, you need that launch and spin to keep it in the air and spin helps stabilize flight too so you don't get as much as that curvature exactly yeah you know that the the science of launch condition with the fitters is really advanced now which is great um because what we want to do is every golfer is an individual coming in to get fit what's the right balance how do you play and it, the other thing you know especially when we talk to tour players you know we understand that hey a guy that likes to hit a little f cut fade he's okay with certain launch conditions and, and lower spin is okay for that guy guy likes to hit a draw Lower spin turns into a sniper. Yeah. You know, so that those are things that you do in, in the fitting realm um, to give those dialed-in capabilities. You know, and we know typically with the slower swing speed player, they could use more speed, and a lot of times they can use more launch. Uh, spin, they're they're never. With I won't say never because they're slicers out there. Yeah. But, but a lot of times those players, if they're hitting it square, they're not generating enough spin. So that's why the, the max head, that weight in the back, is super forgiving and very easy to hit in the air. Yeah, that's really cool. Now, from, from the drivers, if we move into the irons, we've got an Aerojet iron as well. Max game improvement, really designed to help a lot of golfers. Now, here, here's the question that we get all the time. So I'm going to have you address it because I tell people not to worry about it because okay. it's built into the design. Mm -hmm. Why are the lofts strong? Yeah, that's a good one, and we get that question a lot. You know, one of the challenges we have in the trade-off game is what do golfers want? And so, you know, the question comes back is, we know a lot of times it's a demo day or hit bay or things like that. The lofts are relatively strong because we're designing relatively low CGs in those hits. So the idea is, and this actually started way before I came in the industry, but if you can make a lower CG head, hits the ball higher, that's pretty good, except good players think it goes too high, or even regular players. So it actually was, was started by another company about 40 years ago with a wide sole design. They strengthened the lofts two degrees. So that started this trend. Um, if you go back in time, which is interesting, uh, go back to 1994 when the King Cobra irons were out. They were the number one iron in golf back then and a great success. And most people don't remember what the lofts of those irons were. It was a four. It was a. It was like the first like forty-five degree pitching wedge. Forty-three. Forty-three. Okay. Forty-three. So we're not much farther. We're not much stronger than that now. But if you think of those irons back then, they were solid heads. There was no springy faces. There was no design elements and no tungsten and, and low weighting and hollow shells and whatever. Um, these days we have all those things to help make product better. So uh, we're very thin on the faces. We got fast faces. We got power shell. You know, we got very flexible soles. All those things launch the ball higher. And in many cases, you're not going to see a big detriment in performance by less spin. Now, the trade-off always is... What kind of player are you, and what do you want to do when the ball hits the ground? If we think of a 20 handicapper, they're not thinking as often about holding greens as a 5 handicapper. In fact, they're just hoping to get it near the green. <laughs> so when you think about that player, 
Sometimes the strong lobsters are great because they go farther. They still get up nicely. They're not about maximum stopping power, getting the pins. The things that when, when we talk to good players, they really concern themselves with. A little bit of the challenge is when you think of the industry of most fitters are good players. And there is an industry conversation, hey, let, let's talk about how much holding power you want. We find at the end of the day that golfers are trading off between, do I want it to go farther? Do I want that to happen? Or do I want to worry about controlling the golfer is making that choice um, so what we do we offer bending of lofts and lies and all those yeah. kind of things so um, in, in the fitting mode we should be able to identify players that need either strong loss or not so strong loss um, and that trend is continuing to be more prevalent as our fitters get better we also make when you look at the blade clubs the the oh, I was gonna ask you about those next yeah, yeah. so <laughs> those clubs are weaker because the tour players already got speed they've got consistency of strike they're not saying, I just want to get it near the green. They're and they're de-lofting it, too. Like They're creating already. those launch conditions. They're mm -hmm. controlling those launch conditions exactly. a lot better. They're very good at that. Uh, but the interesting thing that most people don't understand, and I, I was always, I've been prompting you know, the, some of you guys to say, hey, it would be interesting if you said, let's start putting out what tour players' real lofts are. Let's go measure some of their irons. Yeah. Because in my experience, about 30 to 40% of tour players actually take their MBs or CBs and bend them strong. And this goes back into Greg Norman did it. Jesper Parnovic did it. Both Cobra guys. I know some guys at other companies that did it because they hit the ball high. They yeah. said, I don't need that height. I don't need that spin. I want to control it. They go strong. Yeah, and they're yeah. faster players. Like That's right, the thing, right. too. As, as players have evolved and gotten faster, uh, like that has to evolve. Like right. It's not... Right. It's not like we're not playing wooden bats anymore. Exactly. Like it, that's, that's the big difference that I think people don't realize. And it's, it's not about the number on the sole as it is about right. the trajectory in the air. And I tell people all the time, like, even when it comes to driver fitting, right? Like, do you mm -hmm. care what lofty your driver is? You probably don't. You just want to know the numbers to maximize distance based on launch and spin. Exactly. If you're doing the exact same thing with a set of irons, the, the numbers just represent the distance that it's designed to go for you. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I think, you know, we, we hear people like ask a lot of questions about, you know, you know like it should do this or it should do that or it should mm -hmm. do this. It's like, well, you're only one golfer, right? right? And right. there's there's a reason that there is a plethora of choices when it comes to a line of golf clubs mm -hmm. because even if we go, which we're going to talk about next, is like your tour irons, right? right? You've got mm -hmm. a muscle back, a cavity back, and the tour, which has more of an undercut channel. Right. And the thing that I love about them because I like seeing them side by side here in front of us is there is an immediate segmentation on the sole width. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So from a dress, they look very similar. So right. if someone wants to build a combo set or anything like that, mm -hmm. but there is a noticeable change in the way the sole is designed. Right. Mm -hmm. And that obviously affects center of gravity. It also affects MOI and it helps golfers hit a little higher, but you still get that look. Exactly. And it's all in this compact head, which we're looking at here. They look pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah. They're, we're loving the way the irons came out. You know, we spent some time on that with our tour staff and our other fitters and helpers and, you know, really excited about those. And I think that that conversation of loss is important. And as an industry, it was like, what do you want? You want holding power, and, and what blade do you want? You know, because we find again the game improvement golfer maybe isn't looking to hold greens and isn't because he's not certainly not looking for a a narrow sole. Yeah, you know, he, he's looking for playability, get it up in the air. The one thing we keep finding, though, you know, back to the loft thing is if we get you more speed and you have about the same launch angle going out, but less spin from the loft, it actually doesn't look that much different. You know, that's what golfers get on the course. Now, we have lawn spawners that give us the detail of how much it is. But at the end of the day, most golfers don't realize that if you're, when you see tour players and, and players that hit it solidly, every club in their bag, they hit about the same height. Yes, yes, that, it's that's very That's one true, thing yeah. when you show the shy view. So 
we did some surveys a number of years ago when we were working on the one length, and we asked people, what do you think, you know, about the trajectory of your clubs? And we asked long irons, mid irons, short irons. And we asked, we segregated players by variable length, one length, because we want to understand the, the challenge. And it was pretty interesting because we expected some of the responses we got, oh, in the one length, the low irons go a little low and the short irons go a little high. That was something early on that we learned. But we also got the same response on variable length. People think their long irons go low and their short irons go high relative to what they see. Yeah. Because that's what you see. In reality, they all, in a good set, they'll all go the same height. Yeah. But it's a visual. Now, when you're hitting a five iron, a five iron is going to be lower than a nine iron in a variable set and a one leg set and every set. So the, the numbers are interesting. I, I love that we have more data. Um, I think in the end of the day, we'll continue to do a good job of fitting and, and offering those different specs. Yeah, I think I think that's really important. And I, I, I stress it all the time. I tell people on when I get the question on social media, like it doesn't matter. Like it, right. like I, I don't like I play some drivers and they might be a nine degree loft. Mm-hmm. I play another driver, it'll be a seven degree loft because exactly. the launch characters of that club head are very different. Right. But the end result is the same numbers because, as you said, like you're looking for a window every mm-hmm. single time. Right. And I think, and players, when you talk about that, like you, you like say, oh, I'm an 18 handicap. Golf, golfers are all self. Many golfers are self-deprecating. They're like, oh, I'm an 18 handicap. Like I don't really notice the difference. I'm like, yeah. let me tell you, if you have the golf ball that you always play, mm-hmm. and you have three different golf clubs, you're gonna hit shots, and you're gonna immediately go. This isn't like the one I like. This right. isn't the one that, and this you'll find that Goldilocks little bowl of porridge, that mm-hmm. perfect temperature, right? Yeah. And you're going to find and see that ball flight, and it's this is why it's so important to when you are looking at, you know, the three different models in the driver, mm-hmm. the three different models in the fairway, sure. all the different options when it comes to irons. There is something there to help you play better golf. Yeah, and one of the things I tell people all the time, and I said, this is an industry challenge, is people don't think they're good enough to be fit. And in my experience, yeah, exactly. And in my experience, I worked from tour players to high handicappers, the whole range. And I said, usually you find a lot more benefit in fitting the higher your handicap is than a tour player. Because the tour players are already good. Good players are already good. They know how to play. They can take clubs and hit all kinds of shots. The average player doesn't. And what you're trying to build for that average player through fitting is better shots, better consistency, better fit. And we keep finding that every time we get these people there and say, I didn't know you can see that much benefit in fitting. Yeah. And he's like, just listen to us. We understand this, and we know that the worse of a player are, often the better the fit helps you improve. And then the game quickly becomes more fun. <laughs> yeah. It just builds on itself. So I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions I've heard in my experience is I'm not good enough to be fit. I'll give you an example. Uh, years ago, my father-in-law, I took him to, to get fit. And... He, well, I'd never been fit. Okay, he's 18 handicapper, you know, picked up golf late in life. And, you know, we, we got him in there for fit. And he got a much better fit. He dropped from 18 to 14. Yeah. Again, because we got him the right shaft. We got him the right head. You know, we got him the right driver spec. And all of a sudden, he's hitting great shots and his consistency is going up. And he's more confident. And everything is better about the game. Yeah. So he said, that was, that's what we see. And that's where the, the industry needs to just do, just remind people. It can really help you more than you think. Just go try it. What do you got to lose if you're exactly 14, yeah. 18? What do you got to lose? <laughs> I, I use my dad's example because he he's probably play, he plays a little less golf now than he did. Mm-hmm. But a couple of years ago, he finally, although like I kept bugging him for the longest time, you'd think I'd be fit like every couple of years. Right. He really got fit. This dude does not practice. <laughs> he shoots lower scores now than he did years ago and he's lost a little bit of distance mm-hmm. but he's way more consistent right. he's like i didn't realize like it made that big of a difference and the, the thing for him was 
making sure that his, his fairywoods are kind of tuned because he hits a lot of fairywoods into shorter mm -hmm. hole or longer holes. Right. Yeah. And getting irons. And he's like, it's amazing. And, <laughs> and of course, like, you know, people know, he knows, his friends know that what I do. Mm -hmm. So like, oh, what? whoa, it makes a difference? Like, yeah, it does. Like, it, they don't see it, but there really is this translation to that. Yes. And again, like, you can, if you can just reduce your misses, you're going to have mm -hmm. more fun. And right, I think right, right. we focus so much on tour players. Mm hmm but there's 98, 99% of the golfing world mm. just wants to go out and have fun. Right. I think that's where it's, it is important to like, you know, if you break 100, break 90, those are huge milestones sure. that you can have a lot of fun with. And I think, you know, there's a lot here to, to give a try to and, and, you know, hopefully shoot that next best score. Exactly. Yeah, and people play golf for fun, as you said. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Tom, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate the dive into the Aerojet and all the new irons. It's, uh, it's always great to talk and you got some cool stuff going on here. Awesome, Ryan. Great seeing you again, bud. Thank you. All right. And thanks again to T.O. for the time. That'll do it for episode 178 of Full Equipped. I heard you guys screwed up the episode numbering, by the way, in one of these. I wasn't going to bring it up, but I guess I will now. So that's what happens when you're, when you're not here to kind of keep the kids moving in the right direction. As always, if you want more social media goodness, check us out on Twitter. We're at Fully Underscore Equipped. And on Instagram, we're at Fully Equipped Golf. Thanks as all for listening. See you next week.